Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. Today we are doing a La Liga special with our special guest, of course, Mr. Graham Hunter, presenter on the Liga TV, author... Super sub. Super sub. Super sub. Yeah, he's apparently Mark McGee of La Liga (laughs) TV. Uh, Dingus uh, reincarnated. Uh, Very Dingus. While, uh, of course, Duncan Castles is off searching for the very rare Dave Neary tangerine butterfly. He's got the jail. Uh, He's got the jail again. Let's let's hope he gets out soon or someone posts bail. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, we're going to start, Graham, with uh, a little bit of news, or a big bit of news, actually, on Mauricio Pochettino, uh, a Got coach, it. of course, who has been out of work since being sacked by Tottenham Hotspur uh, almost a year ago uh, to be released by Josie Mourinho. It's our information that Pochettino, having sat fairly... Uh, quietly and satisfactorily in his gardening leave. Remember, he didn't get a payoff from Tottenham. He is still being paid by the month. Um, is becoming, and I say this in the words of a contact close to the Argentinian, he is both impatient and agitated to get back to work. This week, he was linked with a job in Russia at Zenit St. Petersburg. However, uh, we have been informed that his representatives are trying to create a market urgency around the former Tottenham head coach uh, because they see major jobs potentially coming up on the horizon. And by I say major, I mean the top jobs in world football. Barcelona obviously have recently employed Ronald Koeman as their head coach, but his President, the one who appointed him, resigned this week. Uh, Zinedine Zidane is uh, under pressure at Real Madrid. And of course, there are still questions over both Oligan and Solskjaer's capability to make Man United a progressive and challenging side, as well as Pep Guardiola's contract expiring at the end of this season at Manchester City. Graham, for me, it's a surprise that uh, Pochettino has not been employed before now, but at the same time, it, it did occur to me, and we've said this in the podcast before, that he seemed a bit unlucky with timing with regards to other people being appointed um, after fairly closely after he was sacked by Spurs. Uh, now, he's never won a major trophy. Um, is he still relevant? And And do you think that he would find a job in La Liga, especially at, of course, both of the super clubs? Well, um, I want to reach, first of all, for um, was it Murder at Nightmare Hotel. I know you're a big Fraser Crane fan. And there's, a, there's an episode where, no, you are. Listen, people, I, you probably um, mentioned it already. Um, and it's, it's not only for Daphne. Um, and there's, a, there's an episode where Fraser stages 
um, a, a, an old radio play, doesn't it? And he gets everybody involved. Because he takes over, people don't get to, to say the lines they want to, but Niles has a go, and whoever the, the restaurant critic um, has a little go, just running off and doing those. Gil Chesterton. Is what Gil Chesterton, yes. Uh, ladies' man. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, who features, actually, uh, the actor plays Gil Chesterton, features later in a uh, uh, Frankie and Grace episode where Martin Sheen, who is one of the two gay men who have left their wives um, for Frankie and Grace to be with each other, Martin Sheen goes to a gay bar and it's Gil Chesterton in, in sort of uh, PVC uh, biker gear um, who, who greets him to the gay bar. So it, 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 he's played the gamut of acting roles from A to uh, B. But... I need to start with my two uh, favourite personal uh, Pochettino uh, uh, remarks in order to answer your question adequately. And I was interviewing with Spurs when he was still playing with matches at Wembley. I said to him, you know, you go away and play with no problem. You go on the road in the Champions League to stadiums you might not have been to, and you play with naturalness and you attack and systems work. And What the hell can be the problem of playing at Wembley and not it feeling like a home stadium because it's in your own city. Um, it's a stadium where some of your players have played for a country or played in semi-finals, quarter, whatever. And he said, let me just put it like this. He said, you know when you go to really nice, fancy five-star hotels and the service is brilliant and the carpets are lush, feet sink into them, the bed has got a wonderful mattress, the pillows, you've got a choice of fair pillows or hard pillows that curtains keep the light out, you have a wonderful dinner, you go off to your bed and you can't sleep because it's just not your bed. He said, that's what it's like. And I loved it because nobody's ever been able to explain that to me properly before him. And at the end of the interview, when the charming press officer began to cough quite noticeably, because Maurizio and I were set for our second hour, (laughs) therefore I stopped and said, have I gone on too long here? And the press officer said, well, Guy the knicker's waiting outside to film for BBC and Pochettino um, is like, look, I've been enjoying this. He said, next time that you, 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 got, you book for an interview, you ask for two hours. He said, because this was supposed to be 15 minutes. <laughs> 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 so um, uh, he loves to talk. So whichever club is thinking about um, hiring, him, you're going to get a bright mind and a good talker. Um, you said you were surprised, um, but I'm not specifically for the reason that you delineated in that if the market conditions were right, he'd have been out of a job for a day or for however long he wanted to to still draw Spurs wages and not take a new job and that would have changed his payoff. And had the right jobs been available, he could have been back in, in work. Well, he could have been back in work um, at the time uh, where at... Um, Last Christmas, last Christmas New Year, um, Arsenal were working at how to replace Emery. And Raul Sanlehi was still in post there, uh, flew to Buenos Aires and uh, took uh, a Catalan lawyer with them to try and see if they could engage Pochettino for Arsenal. And for a number of reasons, that didn't play out. And I would bet that... 
nobody at Arsenal regrets having Arteta, who has looked as tactically astute, as brilliant a communicator and as inspirational as almost anybody has in the first year of coaching since probably Guardiola. Um, so I thought you nailed it there, Ian, in that, you know, the market conditions meant that the obvious clubs where they would want Pochettino and Pochettino would want them have, for one reason or another, either maintained their coach position or changed in a way where there was a, a, a drive, a logic to going with whoever's got it instead of Pochettino. So, for example, Pochettino was also very, very strongly uh, considered when Barcelona got rid of Ernesto Valverde, Ramon Planes, who um, I'm not a fan of at Football Club Barcelona, who was then second in command of Football Direction and is now in charge because Eric Abidal resigned in disgust. Uh, Planes and, and Poch were together at Espanyol in Poch's really early days. Um, even I think Planes coincided with them when, when Poch was working um, in, in the youth section. And, and therefore, their friendship meant that Planes got the go-ahead from Bartomeu, more of him later, um, asterisk, to, to go and to sound out Pochettino for Barcelona. And he did a very shrewd interview in El País, the main sort of, let's call it Guardian equivalent, Times equivalent in Spain, about, oh, that time when I said I, I'd rather go and work in my farm in Argentina than work for Barcelona. I, uh, I, you know, I didn't mean it. And anyway, I'd like to kind of change my, okay, fine. We're all allowed, allowed a reverse gear in life. I think that's Ian it, dealing in the quixotic, you know, snake twist turns of the transfer market. You know that, you know, reverse gear is not only allowed, it's, it's almost imperative. So let's not hold it against him for that. And, and I think that the, I mean, I, I guess you were teasing me with the, is he still relevant? You know, I, I think that he epitomizes the modern coaching school. I think that his stock will have risen for two reasons. In that he earned Spurs a, a gigantic amount of money, um, more than they've ever earned for European football before in their, in their entire agglomerated history. And in times of financial losses and pandemic, being not in European football, but being in European football and advancing far to, to take every single penny that's available to you has become more vital than ever. So Pochettino's stock will have risen because of that. Pochettino's stock will have risen because, you know, he hasn't had any home defeats in the last couple of years since Spurs sacked him. And when people look around, they forget the things that maybe um, caused Daniel Levy to to break what I thought was still a fruitful, it, it, they were going through a bad patch, but I think counselling and, and more support in the transfer market from Levy could have brought that relationship back and that could have changed that group, although it was stuck in a rut. Nonetheless, Levy is entitled to make decisions. He's in charge of the club. He's done extraordinary things to the club, corporately, structurally and financially. And therefore, fine, but my point of view is that he's at least as relevant, more relevant now than even when he was at his peak at, at Tottenham Hotspur. And you said he's antsy. That was your news line. I, I honestly, firmly, Ian, believe that he will be ill-advised, foolish to try and galvanise the situation. 
I think he, it, it might feel like he's got his car keys in his jeans pocket and he's sitting on them on a, on a hard bench. It may feel that, you know, he wants to get antsy and get moving. But the, the truth is, he's actually in the power seat because between Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester City, Manchester United, all of which you mentioned, and who knows about Chelsea, um, let's say. And we have to wonder about exactly how attractive other um, Italian or German sides are. But Leonardo wants to call out um, Paris Saint-Germain and it's the size of compensation that's stopping them. So from the immediate short term to the medium term, there are going to be jobs coming up without any shadow of a doubt that are the blue ribbon jobs put you know has coveted and at clubs whereby the depth of talent, the support structure in terms of staff and the potential budget support is is exactly what he needs and wants. So Ian, you know, if you have the ear of whoever is close to him and counsel them that yeah, profile might be important. Um, it seems to work very well if you're on TV analysing the the very clubs that you might be inheriting in two to six months. <laughs> that seems to have a, a, a catalytic effect too. But in terms of jumping into a job, taking something because he's antsy, I think that would be highly stupid uh, because his time is coming. Alison McGroom, I... I- I don't think that what's going on right now with regards to his, let's just say, entourage um, making some noise is necessarily about getting him a job in the next week or month or even four months. I think Pochettino, as we both know, is an intelligent, considerate man who is still very much in the early part of his coaching career. Um, he wants a project <clears throat> which he knows or at least um, expects to succeed and, of course, win trophies that he has previously failed to do so. And indeed, we've reported this on Transfer on the Podcast in the past, that his preference is to take Manchester City. Um, he believed there, was an oppor- there may have been an opportunity uh, this summer just past uh, hmm. Because Guardiola was not necessarily <clears throat> committed to staying um, <clears throat> for the last year of his contract, but in, in the knowledge that uh, Pep has rebuffed numerous invitations from Chiki Bigeristan and Ferran Soriano to renegotiate and extend his contract, then he knows that he must be in a very good position with regards to succeeding Guardiola at Manchester City. And you'd have to say that if you look at the difference between the two squads and where they are um, regarding competitive stature right now, um, City would be a very attractive option for Pochettino, um, specifically, of course, if they failed to win the Champions League in this season, which, of course, has always been Pep's ambition. Pep's ambition, it's it's the central idea of the club that they don't simply dominate English football, but they 
they, they won their first ever European Cup, um, not European Trophy, but you know, this competition. Therefore, whatever Pep Guardiola decides to do, and he's a very quixotic man. Um, I think it's important that I, I know that let, let's spring 2020, or early spring, late winter, Pochettino believed he'd heard tom-tom drums that things weren't great for Pep at Manchester City and that he believed he'd heard that the, the previous summer things had been a bit fraught between Bagherstein and, and Guardiola. Well, I I feel differently about that. I feel that when you're long-term friends, and they are friends and teammates, and you're a transfer director and a coach, and the coach isn't getting what he wanted, and he didn't get what he wanted, um, things can be bumpy. But even though um, there's a history of Pep and, and people and all that fell out, even though Pep is a, he's a hard-nosed, and I say the word again, I mean it, quixotic man, the Enchiki Bagherstein are fine and will continue to be fine. Bagherstein is far too pragmatic, far too clever to allow a situation to blow out of control. And I think that Pochettino has been fed signals that maybe he moderately misinterpreted. But that it was guaranteed that Pep would stay on for the last year, that is it guaranteed that he renews? Neither is true. I tipped it. I tipped that, that Guardiola would fulfill his last year of contract. I believed it. Um, I never said. That is biblical truth, but I absolutely believe he would. And at the moment, he's 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 on route to on route to doing that. He said that he might renew. Again, I I am in a position to say, I know that that's a red herring. I know that that's false. I'll be just gently surprised if he does renew, um, because renewal is a different theme for Pep. He, he, I, I know he's got um, unattained objectives, and that does matter to him very, very much indeed. But he had un- unobtained, unattained objectives at Bayern Munich, and it didn't stop him moving on. I think refreshing himself. I think that, um, what is he? He was born in January 1970 or 71. So he's either about to turn uh, 50 or, you know, in a year's time, he's at that 49, 50 level. I think that's a, a time in any human being's life where you, you, you take stock about where you want to be soon. And it's absolutely clear that international football coaching and then um, in due course uh, running a, a, a brilliant academy are, are goals, that objectives that he holds dear. So whether Pep Guardiola uh, renews or doesn't renew this summer, there is a possibility that Pochettino can become at some stage the next city coach. And in terms of fit, I think it's a very, very good fit indeed. But I, I go back to tactics, you know, I, I take the point that he wasn't expecting to get a job in the next seven to ten days. But going back, to, you have to sometimes look at the themes rather than the words. And if your contact is saying that he's jumpy and that he's antsy, the absolute key thing is that when other opportunities come up, that he's got the, it, it takes a lot in life when you're antsy to say no. It's very, very easy to be um, desviado is a Spanish word, to, to, to be tempted off course or buffeted off course. And, and sometimes it's difficult to say no. I wouldn't say that I, I'm the best at those skills myself, but it's different observing and analyzing than it is doing. So that, that's my caution. You know, the, 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 the real pots of gold for him in terms of situation, project, budget, support, playing staff, 
fan expectations, those are coming his way in due course. And he has to be judicious about how he chooses to move forward. Because in these really, really troubled times, I think when there is a, a, a coach removal or when there is a, a, a non-renovation of contract, I, I think we can be genuinely could be in, in one of these domino theory situations. And I, and I, you know, for example, Ronald Koeman knows that it's, you know, it's a, it's a 10 to one, 15 to one uh, chance that he gets to stay on next year, irrespective of what he does. There's a whole host of factors. I don't need to go into all of them, but there must be presidential elections. Now there were due to be presidential elections anyway. The likely winner wants Chavi. Chavi is likely to come. Does that mean that both of those things will happen? No, it doesn't. And is Raman Planners in a more powerful situation now than he was at Barcelona? Yes, he is. So that's not out of the question. Zidane under pressure. Yes, Madrid is a sacking club, but I, I, I believe I believe that the relationship between Florentino and Zidane is different from the relationship Florentino's had with any coach. Dabowski included and and particularly they never they never really got on. Dabowski was kind of foisted on Florentino because he kept winning. And and so therefore I emphasize that while I don't expect to see Zidane sacked, they've got one point out of two um Champions League games and they've got a double header coming against Inter, which got the the group stage of the Champions League, which I think would be for the first time ever. Um, clacks on alert. That's not that's not a proven fact. It's it's something that I I seem to remember that they've never gone out of the uh, Champions League group stage. Would there be extraordinary pressure on the Florentino Sedanos? Yes, there would. And I go into the point that when um, the last time that um, that Roma did uh, appointed a full time coach that wasn't Sedan, it was Lopetegui, and um, Pochettino had just renewed his Spurs. He went to a wedding in Madrid that summer, sat at the table of Florentino Perez and Jose Sanchez. He said to him, have you got a get-out clause? And he said, no, I haven't put one in. And they said, well, you're an idiot because if you had, we'd have paid it and you'd be at Madrid now. So the, that level of um, desire and approbation almost never goes away. You know that in football, whether it's like by the striker that scored against us, by the, the, the keeper that, that saved umpteen chances against us, or the coach that I've always uh, lusted after, usually powerful men, and it's usually powerful men, there's this powerful woman at Lake and Edge in charge, there was one at Rio, um, at Norwich, but our experience says powerful men usually get what they want in football, and they the, the come a stage where either through Zidane's volition or Florentino's volition, there's a change at Real Madrid, and I think it's more likely to be under Zidane's volition. I think he's reaching a, a, a level of um, uh, satisfaction, tiredness, uh, success that will probably sometime soon, and, and by which I guess I'm meaning at or, at or even before next summer, he goes, okay, it's, it's time for me to refresh and renew and, and, and reassess. And if Pochettino's doing nothing, but then he will, uh, well, he will be the next coach. Raul is doing well at, at Castilla level. W Alonso Ramirez would love to have back and he's the coach the, of the youth team B team at Real Sociedad but I do believe that they would go for Pochettino first so these are the, that's the theme I was trying to put Ian that I think that 
somebody counselling him, be wise, be, be slow, take time on the ball. There's, there's the expression. Absolutely. Um, I think Pochettino, as I said, um, right at the start of this conversation, is someone who is intelligent and considered and mm. will weigh up all of his options. Um, I think his patience has not been exhausted. Um, I do think that the um, the person that I spoke to with regards to uh, on the bit on the back of this so-called interest from Zenit St Petersburg, who said he was becoming a little bit agitated at not mm. working, uh, has a vested financial interest. Let's just say in Pochettino joining another club uh, sooner yeah. rather than later. And um, and therefore, you don't always get uh, what's 100% accurate happening in the mind of the, the coach himself. Mm. I think also that uh, the time will come next spring when um, the top clubs, and some of them obviously that we've talked about, Graham, um, will be weighing up their options. What I predict, um, and I you know, hold myself up to being completely wrong about this, is that what we might see is a kind of um, a race to the finish for Pochettino because mm. he is, along with Max Allegri, uh, one of the most uh, attractive and um, certainly uh, one of the most seductive, if you like, as well, coaches currently available uh, out of contract, out of job, um, no yeah. compensation needing to be paid. And if a club is going to be changing their manager, then I think there will be a race to sign Poch um, in a way that Allegri himself is also waiting patiently for his next job. Well, that's kind of that's true, but pathetic, isn't it? We've seen it when we both worked in Glasgow and one of the two Glasgow clubs, big Glasgow clubs, will scout a player or see a player, the agent will tell the other one that's not interested, well, this club's about saying this, like, oh, well, we want him too. So that phenomenon that, that you've talked about there, about like, nah, not sure. Oh, somebody else wants him. Oh, sexy now. That's perennial. I think it's across all cultures. And you and I know European football better than we know um, football in the Americas. And it, it, it's, it's patently true. I think your, your guess is shrewd. But to me, it's kind of pathetic. And I like um, front foot, proactive, thoughtful, aggressive club uh, structures as much as I like that on the football pitch. Um, Liverpool would be an example recently, in my opinion. Um, and to some degree, Bayern would, because although they make mistakes, they're very proactive about curing them. They're very proactive about, say, going back and saying, well, you know, letting Heinkes go was a mistake, he's coming back again. These types of things, I think, are, are you know, just because you're proactive and aggressive and front foot and do your research and you plan and you have scenarios, it does not mean you always get it right. But I think that the ones who are quickest to say, hmm, I see the mistake we made there, or hmm, we were, we're thinking about that route, but we failed to consider this person who has got all the right attributes except for one that bugs us a little bit. Well, maybe that one that bugs us a little bit can be put aside. That's obviously something that you know would apply in, in Porsche's case to Barcelona and Arsenal. And they were, mm, not to get an Espanol or a Spurs man, blah, 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 blah. So... I think your shout is good. I think the first sniff that there's genuine action around Pochettino, all the ones who are running shoes like managers get sacked in the international. I've always found that absolutely pathetic. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, 
fuck me, we've got 10 days to bed him in instead of like, <laughs> instead of signing him in May for the, for the Super Bowl. Somebody like, oh, we better act. Yeah, I think there's been no greater um, beneficiary of that particular reactive response than uh, the great supersized Sam. <laughs> seems to have uh, got more jobs yeah. on international breaks than any yeah, other. I'm, yeah, any other imagine. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, well, I'm sure. <laughs> fact, uh, I'm sure Sorry, that was, that was a non-infectious cough. That was, indeed that was it emphasized. was. Just so I'm everybody sure. understands what I'm saying. I'm sure, as our listeners know, he'll be firing up the Granada as we speak, uh, oh, ready, ready. No, <laughs> ready Granada, doing fine. Granada, they're <laughs> good. Yeah, they stop are. it. You leave, you leave Diego Martinez alone, por favor. <laughs> so, speaking of um, transitional phases, uh, as we are, um, obviously, uh, this week's no, you know so- how I identify. I still Indeed. identify as he. <laughs> Big news this week when Barcelona's entire board decided finally to resign after the shame of the last few months, um, meaning that there will be presidential elections in January, Graham, am I correct in saying? It's not, you, well, you, you, you're correct that it can take that long, but if you ask me to say it's sure they'll be in January, I couldn't. One, because right. there's arguments about statutes. Two, there are arguments about how do you stage an election without the club having fully taken on the technology for electronic voting during a pandemic. So you're right to say that it's it's supposed to be a, a part-time board. Uh, that's not the right phrase. Um, an interim board for a period of around 90 days. So, yeah. you know, your estimate is right. But if, if, if we're honestly trying to say that they'll be able to turn it around by then, then I, I, you know, I'd have some cynicism. So my question is this, Graham, given the chaos that has surrounded the club over the summer with regards to obviously the Messi saga and also um, the criticism overtly by players and, and very senior players of okay. Joseph Bartomeu, yeah, PK as well, yeah, of course, and uh, is that how exactly did Barcelona go forward in this situation uh, We've heard Victor Font, one of the front runners to be the new president, already state that he sees the past as the future, effectively, i.e. Um, he wants a competitive project, and that would mean bringing back legends of the past, like Xavi, potentially even Pep Guardiola, um, to reintegrate into the club and recreate the magic that, of course, um, was so brilliantly um, some, you know, summed up in uh, your book. Uh, nice plug there. Uh, Making you the greatest team in the world, Barcelona. Uh, available on Amazon if you want to buy that. I would highly recommend it. And uh, it just seems that um, it's an easy sell for Font to say, look, we'll bring back all the legends and everything's going to be okay under me because... Um, I will effectively recreate past glories by bringing back past glories in terms of personnel. Yeah, an easy sell to whom? You mean in campaign terms? In campaign terms uh, to the socios. Um, I mean, I don't know. It, it, It doesn't seem to be a very... 
uh, sort of future vision, does it, in terms of... Uh, look, I, I think... And, you, and you've got a different point of view with regards to what, what settings they've made and how astute they may well, well have been. I, I think... I think um, the, the, to, to give your listeners context, um, because maybe they're sitting there thinking, well, we should sign Messi for free, or maybe there's room to get PK out of there because he's still exceptional and he wants to put on for a long time, or maybe George Mendes can bring us Ansu Fati, whatever. The, I would argue that the fact is that the outgoing board, um, I'm delighted that they've gone, um, simply because not, not that I have any emotions for people got plus on about my work here, and irrespective of working as a freelance, and my livelihood depending on the health of the, the top teams, all the top teams in the Spanish league. Um, it's been, you know, a vomitatious watch um, seeing a, a side, a squad that won the treble in 2015, as the only club to have won two trebles, and playing football which wasn't as well um, or wasn't put together in such a revolutionary way as Guardiola had, but that front three allied to you know the the dying of the light from Xavi and Iniesta um, was utterly, utterly unbelievable. Um, at, its, at its very best, there was six months of Messi, Suarez, Neymar, and I I don't think I've ever seen three front players play more startling, more entrancing football than in the six months from January 2015 to the money in the treble. Maybe um, the Granoli trio at, uh, at Milan, maybe before my time, and there certainly have been you know, duos or rotational fours like Sherman and Solskjaer, generally, not just the final in Colin York. And, and you know, name your name your groupings. But in my view, um, that was extraordinary. It was a treble, and from from twenty fifteen to be losing as calamitously as that side did in Europe, first of all, where sides were cleverer and hungrier and more physically robust, and um, had a, a reductionary tactic of saying, okay, at the peak, Barcelona, when you chased them just made you chase around like a dog after a tennis ball. Um, but now we're flipping um, German Shepherds and it's a beach ball we're chasing and they can't move it that quickly because they're too slow. We're on them. And they were repeatedly. To watch any club, not Barcelona, go from um, preeminent and predominant to increasingly pathetic, it's just not a particularly edifying watch. You can tell good stories about it if you're a, if you're a, a chronicler. And some people like to tell the story of decline more than they like to tell the, the, the tales of ascendancy. It's fine too, but it's not for me. Um, and therefore, that board obviously holds a huge amount of uh, discredit for the things they did to help um, stimulate that decline. They've made decisions which are simply, I mean, I just, words fail me about their policy on how much they pay aging stars and how long they attract the club to pay for them. Words fail me in terms of what they've paid 
for Coutinho and Griezmann and Dembele compared to how much they've invested in making sure that they were the right people, not the right players, but the right people, and then how much they how adept the club and the board have been about ensuring that if there are hiccups when those players arrive, that they're curable. I could go on. During that time, Bartomeu is the president when the treble is won, but he keeps sacking the, the football directors who brought him that glory. I mean, continually uses them as scapegoats. So I, and also Bartomeu did something um, that I thought was important and that he made peace with the Croy family, um, engaged in educational courses, joint educational and medical courses between uh, Cruyff Institutes and Football Barcelona, and I thought that was a that was a good healing idea, and, and Bartomeu takes credit for it. So the departure, I think, is 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 good for European football because whether you want Barcelona to win or lose, having them as the sixth man of Europe is not a good idea. Um, they add luster and sheen to competitions, um, both domestically and internationally. Fans want to see them. Fans have wanted to see a golden um, goodbye from Leo Messi, and, and recently that hasn't been feasible. So that they're gone, good. Don't waste time closing the door behind you. Um, that that they've managed to put together a summer of transfer signings, which is probably equal second best, equal best since um, two thousand eight, when Chicka Bergerstein signed. I mean, players like uh, Danny Alves and the season before he'd signed Yaya Toure and he'd signed Pierre Henry and in 2008-9 he signed Piquet and they brought together a squad which was capable of doing, they brought Keita, revolutionary things that squad did and they won the treble and that, that is the number one summer in, in Barcelona's transfer market history. Subsequent to that, um, you would say that Andoni Zubizureta did an extraordinary job in, in building the squad that won the, the treble in 2014-15. But this summer, pound for pound, they had Eric Abidal as, as director of football, disgusted about what was going on around him, disgusted by what was being asked of him, disgusted by the fact that he, he felt he was just a token figure for the president. And, and the president guessed that Abidal would come in and smoke a cigar and do nothing, which which is a second massive misjudgment of Eric Abidal in, in Joseph Maria Bartomeu's uh, lifetime. Um, they've got Ramon Planet, who, again, for, for reasons that I don't want to say on air, I, I, I um, disapprove of strongly. Um, they've got a, a beleaguered president. They've got no money. Um, they've got an outgoing coach in Setien and a rather late appointed coach in Koeman. They have got exactly the situation where um, their summer work should have looked like mouldy porridge. And in fact, um, as the Italians would say, it's a beautiful super inglese um, because that trifle is multi-layered and it's got cream on the top. How, how they have managed to sign Pedri for about five million early, secured months ago from uh, Las Palmas, Trincao, um, secured uh, months ago from uh, Braga and, and for a very low price, low 20s. Serginio uh, Dest, you don't want the full story, but Eric Abidal had, um, had very much brought to the finishing line an arrangement with Max Ahrens, the right back at Norwich, and with Norwich, there was disagreement with the, 
the football operations man at Norwich, I think, dropped the ball badly. Um, there were disagreements about whether it would be a purchase, a loan, or a loan with a guaranteed purchase. And those delays, um, because everything else was, was sorted out, those delays cost Max Aaron's a place at the Pro Club Barcelona because Koeman came in and said, I have to have, I like Aaron's, I see the attraction, but I want Dest, I must have Dest. So they've now brought in um, Trincao, Serginho Dest, and Pedri on a cumulative uh, cost, which is um, about a tenth of, say, uh, Coutinho plus Griezmann. And they've added in what is a bookkeeping exercise, but has given them by far the better of the deal mm-hmm. in that Artur Melo, the Brazilian who's at Juventus now, and looks as sloppy and lazy. He's a great talent. He's a super talent, at least. But he's, he's sloppy, um, lazy off the pitch, um, self-important. And they've got uh, you know, a, a great age disadvantage because Melo is still in his early 20s, 33, 24. And they brought in Pjanic, who was obviously a success at Roma, a success at Juve um, after breaking through at Lyon. And Pjanic is 30, he'll turn 31 soon. And he's different class, he's different gravy. He'll put Busquets on the bench overdue. And he's about 95% match sharp, much fit, never mind match sharp. And he made a gigantic impact in giving Barcelona their first ever win. Um, against Juventus in Turin the other day, and there's about you know about another twenty twenty five percent to come, which is going to liberate De Jong, and, and and therefore to say that they had Ansu Fati, and they've they've brought in this 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 little cluster of of, of gems, because Trincao is getting less publicity than Pedro deserved of a Trincao. He's two footed, rangy, very good, young, pacey. And the big, big thing, Ian, is that for as long as Leo uh, Messi is still at um, Club Barcelona, Ansu knows how to play with him when uh, Ibrahimovic and, and Villa struggled to, um, Griezmann has struggled to, Semedo couldn't. Ansu, Dest, Trincao, and particularly Pedri, all of whom are, you know, range from 17 to 20, all instinctively know exactly what Messi wants of them. And some of them are like, no, give it to me now. <laughs> At that age, it's extraordinary to watch. And if you throw in uh, Ronald Araujo, um, centre back, European centre back, who picked up a, a thigh injury in Turin, he's very, very good. He's, he's 21, he's an international. But the key thing is, he's extremely sure about his ability in physical challenges, aerial challenges. And then when he has the ball, he's pretty damn good with the ball, too. So, out of an absolute um, abattoir situation, has has strolled a relatively muscular and uh, injury-free Bambi. So, Boston are still a little bit um, wobbly on the legs, but the whole world is going, ah, oh, isn't that cute? It's interesting in terms of, you know, Bartomeu, who, to everyone's certainly their um, interpretation, leaves hanging his head in shame for all the mistakes that were made. That, in actual fact, there may be a legacy that he's left, which could see Barcelona um, rise once again into a 
another golden generation of players, uh, given the way that you have described um, the signings. And certainly there were signs, certainly in El Clasico um, uh, last weekend, certainly with Dest, um, who was was outstanding, uh, probably Barcelona's best player. Um, And Fati, who, as we know, Ansu has got a huge, huge future um, and is probably, in terms of excitement and potential, second only to Kylian Mbappe in Europe right now um, in terms of age group as well. I'm intrigued, Graham, as well, though, because one of the almost more quirky stroke um, bizarre stories of uh, the fast week <clears throat> involved yet again Real Madrid uh, going behind in the Champions League, um, having lost to Shakhtar Donetsk in the first round of Champions League games. They were 2-0 down again in midweek. And then at halftime, uh, Karen Benzema, one of the most experienced players, was caught on camera telling one of his teammates that you should not pass to Vinicius. He's playing against us. Um, what has transpired since? Um, because there's not been a lot of follow-up uh, regarding um, what if there was any context that people didn't know about, or indeed if there has been any apology or some kind of at least um, acquiescence between the two players. Well, it really does know the situation. Um... Karen Benson was one of these odd footballers whose judgment of space and when to release a pass and judgment about how to play between a number nine and number ten uh, far outstrips his, his judgment in life. He's been involved in uh, cases of speeding, involved in cases where um, the entire French society has kind of been brought to a standstill and over allegations that he and others spent time in a brothel with an underage prostitute. He's been involved in a situation with Bob Wenner where um, Benzman's friends were alleged to have blackmailed his French international team mate. Um, neither um, uh, the French FA president nor Didier Deschamps wants to see hide nor hair of Benzman and the French team and they've won they reached the final of the European Championship and then won the World Cup without him. Um, so to, to, to say that he's got an unblemished past would be um, helpful to him. And to suggest that this is anywhere near the top 20 misdemeanors in Karen Benson's life would also be foolish. And I think what I think we've also, I mean, look. Um, one of the reasons that Ruud van Nistelrooy was packed out of Manchester United was the threat of him coming to blows with Cristiano Ronaldo, the young Cristiano Ronaldo, who still thought that stepovers were more attractive than goals and trophies. And okay, that changed originally, but frustration for from a centre forward for a winger like Ian Scanlon, there's one for the Golden Oldies. Uh, deciding that until he'd beaten a man 16 times, um, the ball wasn't getting centred. This is generically like that. Vinicius doesn't have that affliction, but he's a wide player. He's got legs that do things that, you know, legs shouldn't be able to do. 
Um, he is exceptionally gifted, but exceptionally raw. He's on a trajectory of uh, learning about decision making at pace. He's showed exemplary development in that area. Um, this season, he's scored the winner against Bayard in a team that went, I think, eight single goal wins out of 12, uh, remedied up in, you know, living on the edge for months. Yeah, so he comes out, he gets the winner against Bayard in a 1 0 victory. He gets the first goal in a win over Levante that's 1 0 until the 93rd minute. He comes on against Shakhtar, he knows down immediately scores. Um, at the moment, Vinicius is more valuable to Rundu than Benzema. That hasn't been the case for a long time. Um, as soon as Benzema begins to score again, given that he is adored by the president, adored by Zidane, and a very clever footballer, <laughs> if only to God he was clever in life too, um, then the situation that, you know, the seesaw will tilt again. And Vinicius was having one of those days where you're like, done the right thing, something, oh, he's, he's been in an even better situation and he's either done the wrong thing or he's failed to do it. And one of the sinister things is that the, the guy with whom he's got one of the best relationships in the team is Benjamin Mondi, the, the left row back at Romero uh, who put uh, Marcelo on his arse and he joined from Lyon the summer past. And they've got a brilliant playing relationship. They're absolutely exceptional together. When Mondi and Vinicius are on the same side, the degree of understanding, the degree of interpassing, the degree to which Vinicius will double up and help drop right back between us, don't like to do, and help the left back out is exceptional. So for Benzema to be sounding off as a centre forward is not getting the delivery he wants at a time when he's in a goal drought and not playing well. That, I mean, I could give two fucks about that. For him to be undermining one of the things that makes Vinicius better and is more likely to bring good service to Benzema and therefore help the team to win. That's ridiculous. And you're a good witness to the amount of things the general public don't know about what goes on in training ground and how fucking bizarre and wild that can get. This just happened to get caught at half time because they were getting beaten again. They, Benson has been just a woeful form. He's had massive responsibility on his shoulders since Cristiano Ronaldo left. And over the first two seasons, he was the number one player to pick up that responsibility. I think from the day that Ronaldo left to the end of last season when they were champions, I think Benzema scored 60 times of that nature. And if you throw in assists, his, his reaction to the departure of Cristiano Ronaldo is one of the things that will mark him down as, uh, as a European great. And he is. What's he got? He must have at least four Champions League medals. Um, so he did wrong. He's a git. We knew that. But to try and undermine one of the relationships that will make Vinicius um, more productive for Benzema and for the team is just it's beyond description. And uh, you know, if it was the old days, he'd get the scudders, he'd get a boot up the arse. Sorry, that's Spanish. That's Spanish football talking. But anybody doesn't understand <laughs> it. There'll be subtitles. He would uh, certainly be stuck up against a wall in the dressing room by someone more. Um... Than, than he is. Yeah, by Walter or Archie, certainly. Um, Sergio Ramos scores his 100th goal for Real Madrid from centre-back. Quite astonishing, uh, but not really, because Sergio Ramos is kind of akin to some kind of super uh, human being um, at the Santiago Bernabeu. Um, I know you're a big fan 
Uh, is there anything this man can't do? Can't, can't seem to come into an agreement for renewal of his contract, which was really <laughs> And last time that was the situation, his brother Rene Ramos um, from Sidlow and asked him for me um, to let slip the fact that Manchester United had made him an offer, which they had, and um, did. And negotiations hurried up and then Manchester United didn't get the man. Um, he's 30. Five uh, very soon. I think he's 34 right now. He's 35, I think, in early 2021. Um, he explicitly stated that he expects to win another Champions League before he retires. I think he's got the hunger and the physical ability to play on for another three or four seasons. And um, if he's free, and I was in elite football club, uh, then I would um, do what Jossie's done with Thiago Silva and I would buy him. He's mm. odd. He's, he's idiosyncratic. He's extraordinarily um, pig-headed. And you will not, if you have him as an employee, you will not always find him doing the right things um, because he's one of these footballers who has earned the right to say my way is the right way and I don't care if you like it or not. But in terms of standard setting training and physical preparation, and in terms of what's diminishing quality in the European game, um, I won't be, you will not be, we will win. I'll tell you something, I interviewed him during the summer, and I just asked him a simple question. You know the art, but sometimes a simple question that, that is in no way clever, but clicks, you can bring a lovely answer. So I asked him, um, it, it was an on this day future. I asked him about the goal he scored in the added time against Beaucourtois when it was the Lisbon Champions League final and it was really difficult. And we did were about to lose. And it's going to be because of a mistake made by Ica Casillas. And the go down scored. And we're about to lose in Lisbon to Atleti. So the whole march home for fans, whether it be walking, bicycle, play, bus, train, and was going to be with the, the crowing Atleti fans. And I knew that he'd lost somebody important to my grandfather in, in the spring of that year. And I asked him what was going through his mind. And he said, you know, I'd adored my grandfather. He set the marker for me in life to look into things I, I believe in, how I act, my objectives. And he said, I was, yeah, I was conscious of time going by. And I was saying to myself, I will not let this end in this manner in the, in the year that my grandfather died. Will not let this happen. And we use that um, from a distance. Those who write about or broadcast about players like Sergio Ramos, we, 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 we use the idea that they are, uh, that they refuse to accept the concept of defeat and that they're, they're still playing until the lights have stayed turned out in the stadium, not when the referee uh, blows the whistle. And he expressed that very thing. This isn't happening to me. I will not let it happen. And in the one opportunity to change things, got up, out-jumped everybody, including Godin, and put the ball in the only space that was to the right hand of six foot four, um, flipping Thibault Courtois fully extended. So I, I can't see it being feasible for Florentino Perez, who, who likes and fears Ramos in just about equal degree, because Ramos has often defied him and expressed a feeling that 
it's much my club to issue which presidents don't traditionally like and Florentino doesn't like. And and they have to battle it out. You know, it is a giant financial pillow fight going on at the moment. And Ramos will not drop his his concerns about you know pay and length of contract. Uh, and therefore that's a really important situation because just because they can't do with it right now, and they can. I think they, they in Europe their only serious defeats of all the recent have always been when Ramos is absent. At home to Ajax, away to Manchester City, at home to Shakhtar Donetsk. Um, it just they can't do with it. And therefore I would point out that the obvious thing is to renew them at any cost and say, well, we must have you. But just like Messi, rebuilding has to start sometime. When is that time? That's a strategic concern for the club. You accept that you say, you can't go on forever. We've reached the end of the road. We're going to suffer for, for this decision short term. But it's an obligatory one because renewal doesn't always come easily. These things are going on in the minds of um, financially, not as financially embattled as as of us on a any means. But nonetheless, a financially challenged, limited, and and Jose Angel Sanchez and Florentino Perez who want to get Mbappe at any cost, and in my opinion, will get Mbappe next month. They have to think about what kind of team do they want to come to? Do they need Ramos to be there? Have they got replacements that they can buy easily um, for that level of character, or, or do they have to shelve off some of the money that they would use for Mbappe and apply it to renewing the capital? I look forward to you letting it slip that Derek McInnes has been in touch with Sergio Ramos um, about his contract expiring. Just let that image sink in. <laughs> and the band. Sergio Ramos dro- dropping the European Cup. Well, you know, we can all dream, Graham. We can all dream. Diego Maradona is 60 today. And uh, in terms of celebrating that, Birthday, I'd like to ask you for your fondest memories of the great Argentina captain. I think discovery is 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 always a, a major theme for people like you and I and hopefully the rest. And I was um there was an, a really odd game where he made his debut in Britain, which is at hand and I think it was not seventy seven, I think it was seventy eight it was. Could, it was a friendly okay. yeah, before the World Cup final. Prior to the World Cup. And they played it, if I'm not wrong, for some daft reason. They played it in the afternoon. And I had, there was a friend of, uh, a, fr- a friend of mine, uh, Murdo was his name. And he was a good football player. And we were in a, a particularly rowdy history class with Mrs. Jean, and Kevin Petrie, and Gary, his name was sitting up there. And that was the kind of um, sorry, rough crowd. Uh, but for football obsessives, and the idea was mooted weeks ahead that we would skive off school and get on a supporters bus and go down to Hampton. And for whatever reason, whether it was nerve, which I doubt, or money, which is feasible, or I don't know what, or availability tickets, I didn't, stroke couldn't go, and murder did. And I could be wrong, it might have been played at night time, but my memory is for some stupid reason. It was a retreat in the metal that played in the afternoon. Anyway, let's 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 say I might be right, I might be wrong. But nonetheless, um I definitely watched it and, and skived off school. 
Um, it might have been that I watched it on delay, because I don't think it's live. But I remember thinking that, because the, the, he was very little heralded then, of course he was. One, because he was so young, two, because there wasn't blanket coverage of overseas football, there wasn't an internet. All that there was was just the tom-tom drum, that there was a kid. That's all we knew. Um, somehow or other, the newspapers had said, and they've got this guy. And that was about the extent of it. But Argentina um, coming was extravagant and foreign. Even then they had you know, a strip that was known worldwide and it was beautiful. But, but things were completely different. And for anybody who, who was born in the 80s or 90s or <clears throat> more recently, it's, it's hard to describe how foreign foreign football teams were then. And I remember watching the game, jealous of Maradona being at Hampden. I think we lost 1-0 or 2-0. Um, and Maradona, he might have scored, but he did things as, He did things that you used to see some Scottish footballers doing in terms of the trickery or their, their gallusness. But <laughs> he did it. Ian Scanlon, for instance. With, for example, <laughs> Eddie Grew. But he did it at a speed and with a, a, a power that, and he must have been, what, he had 17? Well, so we should be able to calculate, shouldn't we? Whatever age he was, if he's 16 now, today, as we record, then you know, somebody else can do this, I'm not interested. But that's the age he was, and um, I, think it, I think, well, it is 16, because he'd be 18 if he'd hit his birthday. This yeah. is October, so he was 17. There you go. That was quite good for my standards. And it, it was extraordinary. And then there's one where I'm convinced that he supported the Eric Cantona's idea of a breakaway players' union in, in the early 2000s. And he came to um, play in, a, in an exhibition match that Eric Cantona and, and Eric's brother, I think, was Joel. And they, they'd put this fledgling union game together and Maradona would come and support them and it was going to be played at Montjuic and they'd forgotten that to have a game you need to organise things you need to have uh, match balls you need to have a referee and so we turned up at this game where Canton has 11 played somebody's 11 and Maradona was there to play and about 35 minutes after it was supposed to kick off I thought well it's great and I took a wander down to the dressing room. And all the players, most of whom at that stage were ex-players, were sort of hanging around, leaning on the dressing room wall. Because literally, they hadn't got enough footballs and the pitch wasn't properly marked. And the referee that they'd hired had turned up late. And it was just articulate. like if football, if football were left to footballers to organise, it was total chaos. And Maradona was sitting there, I'm certain, sitting on a bench in the dressing room, just sort of, I can't remember if you smoke or not. And by now, other journalists and support staff have been wise enough to think, well, we can get near to this. And that was my closest contact, I'm pretty sure, at about 20, 25 feet, which, to be fair, is about as close as Peter Reed got in 1986. And uh, they'll do for me, because the beautiful memories, the playing memories, the tricks that you're angling for that the listeners might um, know. They've been slightly 
um, tarnished for me by finding out what a, a stupid, braggadocio, selfish man he is. You know, he's an idiot, really, to be honest with you. Irrespective of how he's brought up or where he's brought up, um, or what injuries or drugs have done to him. Um, I, I have fonder memories of other great players than of him. But I will accept that in terms of what he could do with the ball and how often he did that, it's, it's very greatest. He's, he's startling. He's like being, he's like trying to pick up an electric eel, I think, when you watch him. But do I feel as emotionally attached to him as I do to other greats? The answer would definitively be no. Fair enough. Uh, I've always thought of Maradona as the, as the greatest player that I've ever seen play and also in football history. Um, I was very privileged to um, have him in an all-star team uh, that I was uh, attached to um, some years ago. And when he came onto the team bus as we went out for a meal, team meal in Geneva, and Luis Figo, I'm just dropping names like, you know, hats here, uh, Steve McManaman and Franco Baresi were sitting behind me. Uh, Maradona came onto the bus. I stood up. He offered me his hand and said, Maradona, Diego. <laughs> As if I didn't know who he, who he was. That's, <laughs> I just thought, that's, that's, that's good, sensational. That's, that's just that's a very sensational. Good that's and, a very, uh, very good anecdote. And as regular listeners to the podcast will know, he was a lot less um, happy when I substituted him at the night later in Chechnya and put on Christian Vieri in his place. So he shut at me and called me heel. There's, there's the title. There's the title of your autobiography, isn't it? I substituted Maradona uh, in Chechnya. Don't worry. That's, that's, that's already been written. <laughs> <laughs> that has been uh, Friday's Transfer Window podcast. We hope you have enjoyed it. And, uh, well, that's not interesting because it was very, very good. It's always very good with you and Graham, I have to say. Um, and please... Um, if you do, then continue the debate with us, as you know, on our social media channels. We're at Transfer Podcast on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I'm at Garbo SJ. Graham is at Bumper Graham. You can also leave a five-star review on iTunes and you can subscribe to the Transfer Window Podcast on YouTube. Turn on all the notifications and you will be told when the next podcast is out. Uh, just want to say a big thank you to Mr. Graham Hunter. Uh, please, if you can, and I highly recommend it, uh, watch La Liga TV, which in the UK is on Premier TV, and it's available for as little as about fiver. Uh, I know this because I subscribe myself, um, and it is exceptional in its coverage. Uh, so, um, you know, get your um, feed of uh, Spanish football there. Have a good weekend, everyone. Just leaves me to say, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. <laughs>